0: Uh, keep your Bibles open there, at uh, Jonah chapter 1, uh, verse 15 to chapter 2, verse 10. We are going through this series through Jonah, which we began last week. Now, hopefully you've also got an outline in front of you. Uh, I think we are fewer, actually, than, than, uh, than, than we normally do um, uh, but uh, hopefully if you have one in front of you That will help you I think today <laughs> To follow particularly uh, As we're going to dance around a little bit On this passage as we paint the picture of what's going on Now uh, Matthew and his wife Made some bad financial decisions A couple of years ago Now they are severely in debt Matthew has two jobs And he is desperate for a way out Emily is married and has two young children and a very good career. Uh, She was recently diagnosed with a life-threatening illness and now she's fearing for not only her future but the future of her family. Geraldine has been a Christian for some years now. and She has been praying uh, to God to provide a life partner for her and now she's very frustrated because after many years, her prayers seem to have gone unanswered. All three of these people are followers of Jesus. All three are in messy situations beyond their control. And all three are asking a very simple question How do I respond to God allowing this situation in my life? Now, we are currently going through the book of Jonah. Uh, it is an historical record. Uh, it's an historical record of the prophet Jonah who lived eight centuries before our dear Lord Jesus Christ. Last week we looked at Jonah chapter 1 from verse 1 to verse 15. And if you missed that, you can uh, uh, pick it up on our website, and we saw that Jonah is living during the reign of King Jeroboam II. He is a prophet that God has raised up in the northern kingdom. At this time, Jonah is living. The nation is divided in two. Ten tribes to the north, that is usually referred to as Israel in the book of Kings and Chronicles. And two tribes to the south, that is referred to as Judah. Jonah has been raised as a prophet to the northern kingdom under King Jeroboam II. And God has raised him up with a very specific job. And his job is to guide Israel's military policy against the predatory Assyrian Empire with its city-state at Nineveh. So one day we saw last week Jonah receives a preaching assignment from God to do something different, to go to Nineveh. But instead of Jonah obeying God, Jonah does a runner. Uh, he boards a ship and he heads off to the sun city, if you like, of Tarshish in the Mediterranean, southern Spain. But Jonah doesn't get very far in chapter 1. God raises a storm which threatens to break up the ship. And eventually Jonah and the mariners, we saw last week, decide the only option, the only option to get out of this and keep everyone alive is to toss Jonah out. Throw Jonah out and just hope that God somehow uh, changes his mind and leaves the mariners alone. And it works. We saw that last week. Jonah is tossed out. The mariners are happy. They are even converted. And they start worshipping God. That is where we ended last week. And the lesson we learned last week is that God is unstoppable. So we must reverently fear Him. Today we continue with Jonah who has been tossed out. He is fighting for his life in the water. Like Matthew, Emily, and Geraldine. Jonah is also asking, how do I respond to my messy situation? Well, let's see the answer to that question uh, as we look at Jonah chapter 1, verse 15 to chapter 2, verse 10. Now, I should note, as I mentioned, into to someone that these verses are a mixture of of historical narrative, which explains what's happening, and also Jonah's poem from chapter 2, verse 1 to 10, as he remembers before God his experience. The psalm there is Jonah talking to God and thanking God for what has happened. It is recorded for us, but it is not in the order in which things actually happened to Jonah. That's very important. So we need to work around the psalm to pull different parts together and hopefully have a clear picture for us. And the outline in front of you should help you with that because I've arranged it in the way that things happen to Jonah. So let us rejoin our man, if you like, in the Mediterranean uh, 2,700 years ago as he's sinking there. The first thing we see, and it's in front of you in the, first, in the outline, is that everyone has messy lives. Everyone has messy lives. We see that at, from verse 15, that the mariners pick up Jonah and throw him into the sea. Let's read that from chapter 1, verse 15 to 16. So they picked up Jonah and held him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Now that is the vantage point from the mariners who are left on the boats. Jonah has been tossed to the sea and they see him sinking down now let us switch the camera and let's see how things now look from Jonah's perspective as he remembers this situation before God look at chapter 2 verse 3 here is how Jonah describes it poetically for you that is God cast me into the deep into the heart of the seas and the flood surrounded me all your waves and your billows passed over me. Jonah is fighting for his life. He is struggling to keep his head above the water as he kicks against the and Until he helplessly sinks down. Look at verse uh, 5 to verse uh, 6 of chapter 2. The waters is closing over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. We can imagine looking at Jonah there sinking down, that perhaps as he's there, is Jonah's lungs are now flooded with water. And it is ending any transfer of oxygen to the blood as he sinks down there in the water. The clock is running down for Jonah. And most likely, John at this stage is half-conscious. And, you know, he's enfeebled by oxygen depletion. He's not in position to fight his way back to the surface. He's down in the water, down to the bottom, and he's as good as dead. Now, if we pause the camera just there, if we just pause the camera just there, Jonah underneath, what do we see? We see a man in a mess. He's virtually dead down there and he's covered with seaweed. He's all alone and all hope is totally gone. But what else do you see when you see Jonah there? As we look closer at this dying man, something shocks us. Because as we look at Jonah sinking down there, stuck down there at the bottom, we see something else. We see that this man, we remember that this man's name is Jonah. This man is not any other man. This is God's spokesperson now dying alone in pain. How can this be? How is it possible that Jonah is sinking down there when the pagans in Nineveh are, you know, watching their televisions, if you like, and enjoying themselves? And yet God's man is here sinking down there. How is that possible? Well, the answer is that everyone has messy lives. And that is everyone, including those who belong to God. You see, sometimes the mess in our life is our fault, like Jonah. Jonah is down there because he's rebelled from God, so he's down there at the bottom. That's true. That's true. But some other time, the mess in our lives has nothing to do with our sin. We travel in time, we might see a man called Job. He's sitting there covered in all sorts, and he too is dying. And it is not even his fault. How can this be? Because, because everyone has messy lives. And sometimes the mess as in Jonah's case include staying, fighting to stay alive. Now you may never have experienced a drowning as Jonah is experiencing right now, but you have probably brushed death in the past. Perhaps you had a call from the doctor telling you that your disease may be life threatening. You may even be brushing death right now in different ways. And even if you've never experienced brushing death in some respect, you know family members that are probably brushing death right now. That in some way or another are sinking at the bottom, all alone, and fighting to stay alive. And of course, not all mess in life is the same. Some of our mess makes headline news in our lives. Others lie buried in the inside pages of our hearts, unknown only to ourselves. Our life is like a newspaper. Sometimes the mess in our life is big news. Sometimes you have to kind of search the pages or flip the daily telegraph or the daily well <laughs> to see what's going on there. Some of you right now are battling against the waves of loneliness, anxiety, eating disorders, depression, fear of the future, addictions of many kinds. Too many to mention. The bottom line is that everyone has messy lives. So you're sitting there and you're probably thinking, okay, Shola, we know that. So why do you need to tell us? I mean, I know that. So why do you need to tell us? I mean, why does God remind us here that this is God's man sinking down? Well, because the truth is that we all forget that. You see, when life spins out of control, we can become very angry and even disappointed with God. I have seen believers question their salvation because they are in a difficult situation. And the reason we do that is because we feel that God is our insurance policy against all our challenges in life. So if we're in a mess, perhaps we feel God is not doing his bit. He's not you know, doing his bit of the end of the bargain, as it were. But friends, this morning, take a serious look at Jonah as we freeze that picture. Start down there. Look very clearly and imprint that image in your minds every day. That is God's man down there. And he is drowning. Being a follower of Jesus sometimes leads you to the bottom of the sea. Don't forget that Jonah is there because he belongs to God. That's how he's got there. If God didn't care about him, he would not even pursue him. Being a follower of Jesus sometimes means following Christ to the cross. Like Peter dying upside down. That is the reality of being a believer in Christ. But here is a comforting second truth. Our mess is not by accident. Point number one, everyone has messy lives. Point number two, but the messy situations are not by accident. Now, we we have kept Jonah freezing, you know, frozen there down at the bottom. Let's just keep him down there for for a little bit more before we press the play button. We need to take a closer look at Jonah's words in chapter 2, verse 3. Let's look at that again. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Well, what do you notice about those words? What do you notice? God, God yes. Jonah is. We do this. We do this Thursday, so that's no. So yeah, thank you, So Jonah is attributing the entire situation to God. He is saying, God ultimately has checked me into the water, not the mariners. Now we know last week the mariners. We know from verse fifteen and verse sixteen that the mariners are the ones that checked him out there. But Jonah is saying, No, God, you have done it. Well, this raises an important question. If God is behind Jonah's drowning, are the actions of the mariners even real? Are the mariners just robots dancing to the cosmic tune of God? Some people think our choices do not matter. A driver causes an accident by careless driving and then says, God is sovereign. He must have made that happen. I know people who say things like that. Someone hasn't adequately prepared for a job interview, they walk in there and they fill the interview and then say, God is sovereign. He must have made that happen. Is God sovereign or are our choices real? The Bible says it is both. It is both. The Bible says it's clear all human decisions are real. The mariners have chucked Jonah in the water because the Bible tells us so. You decided this morning to come to church and set the love. That was real. And the Bible also teaches us that God orders and directs every single decision. There are no accidents to God. Einstein says God does not play dice. I suppose if he did, he would always win. God has thrown Jonah in the sea. God brought you here today. We must affirm both truths that God directs all things and that somehow in the way God directs all things, ensures our actions beca- be- remain real and tangible. Now that may make your head spin this morning. We don't normally get into such deep things. but well, we should, of course, because we allow the text, as we were saying on Thursday, to take us there. And this text has raised that question. Now that may make your head spin this morning. I, I tell young people, I said, you know what? You know, a lot of what what people say, you know, that Christianity is not very intellectually demanding. I mean, I'm sidetracking a little bit here. Far from it. I mean, there are some things that demand to think carefully. Very intellectually demanding. And hearing that and makes your head spin, like, what's going on here? God is doing it, and my choices are you. How can that be? Well, the good news is this. If you are a follower of Jesus this morning, you believe in things even more complicated than that. You believe God is three, yet one. You believe that Jesus is 100% God, and yet 100% man. All these mysteries and many more are beyond our understanding. Because God is God. His wisdom begins where ours end. And sometimes theologians spend a lot of time trying to unravel what God has left as a mystery. Paul calls it speculation. We cannot get minds around these truths because the moment we do in some of them, we become God and God won't allow. God must remain God and, fr- and frankly you must remain you. What is important is to know deep down our hearts that God is in charge over every decision in your life. He's involved in everything you make. Every mess you are involved in. He's there intimately weaving it together, making everything happen. Nothing going on in your life this morning surprises God. And we need to remember this truth because we live in a world heavily influenced by Darwinism and living by chance. You see, the world says to you, take your chance. Seize the day. Go for it. You are not guaranteed tomorrow. Life is what you make it. It is a survival of the fittest. Friends, it is hard to hear these slogans. I still remember. I remember when I used to have a second job, I used to have a challenge. You know, you have these good luck cards which are written. You give out to people around the workplace and they are written, good luck. And usually when somebody gets a new job, you have to tell them something. And everybody there is just writing, good luck. Good luck. And of course, it's your turn now. And you know, and you, know you can't say good luck. But you, you're forced to say something. And of course, the thing you should say, perfectly, is to say, you know, God bless you and I'll be praying for you that it is a success. I think you should do that. Because, you know, when I never sort of used to read my card story with their sign. But when I do go through them once in a while, something stands out. And something like that will stand out. So, can I challenge you, first of all, to get rid of the word lack from your vocabulary? Because as a believer, you believe God orders all things. God knows it all, orders all, and nothing happens by chance. God is never surprised. And so, we need to remember that because if you don't remember that, you will live a life of worry and without without peace Randy Alcorn says worry is momentary atheism crying out for correction by trust in a god in a good and sovereign god When you're worrying you're not believing in God When you're worrying you're not accepting that this God is sovereign over all things God is fully in charge But if God is fully in control of all things, why does God allow the mess to happen? That's all what we want to know. I mean, okay, fine, we get each other, we get it. But why? What is this about? I mean, why is God up to? Why, why does God allow? It? Why is why is Jonah sinking down there? Well, the answer is, and that's the third point in front of you. God uses messy situations to make us like Him. God uses messy situations to make us like him. So let's go back to Jonah. Let's let's press the play button on Jonah's life. Jonah is still at the bottom of the sea. Life is flashing before him as he now realizes everything is about to end. Look at verse 4 of chapter 2 in front of you. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, that is God. I am driven away from you, God. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Jonah somehow utters a breathless prayer to God, expressing his hope while he's half unconscious down there. He knows he's about to die, but he hopes to see God face to face in his holy temple. What is this holy temple? He's not talking about the holy temple in Jerusalem. He's talking about God's heavenly temple. And we know that from verse 7. Look at verse 7. The seven there, Jonah says, What? He says, When my life was fainting, I remember the Lord, and my prayer came, came to you into your holy temple, into your heavenly temple. This is a helpless prayer of Jonah. It's a thought, it's a flash of half consciousness, and it has made its way to the Holy of Holies. And amazingly, God hears this breathless prayer. <laughs> Look at verse 6 again. Yet you brought up my life from the pit. The second part of that. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Chapter 1, verse 17, tells us this, and it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. We must note in passing here that... If this does not get you excited about prayer, then frankly nothing ever will. If, this is, if what's happened to Jonah here doesn't get you praying seriously and making prayer, everything you do in your life, nothing ever will. Because we see here that God is not asking for fancy prayers. He's not asking you to come before him you know, all you have and God sovereign creator of all. No. That is not what God is asking for. He's asking for heartfelt prayer. He simply wants to come to you as you are. Paul Emila in the book we've got in the story there says, a needy heart is a praying heart. Dependency is a heartbeat of prayer. God answers helpless prayer what a God what a God even a half conscious prayer amazing amazing now for some people the fish swallowing up Jonah seems impossible but not for you guys here because you started last week and you saw God is unstoppable you saw God is in the dice you saw God is there raising up the storm. So we don't even need to waste time on this with some sort of a man, you know, stories of a man being swallowed up by the fish. Of course those things have happened and we've heard such stories. But our grounding of belief in what's going on here is that this God is unstoppable. And therefore a God who controls the dice, surely what is it? appointing a fish? What is it? Well, I mean, how difficult is it for God just to ring up Gabriel and say, Gabriel, arrange a fish to pick up Jonah at 2 p.m. Sunday afternoon. It's nothing. But here is the thing. The big miracle is not Jonah being swallowed by the big fish. The big miracle here is that God is using the messy chaos of Jonah's life to weave together a beautiful tapestry of love and restoration. This is the big miracle here. The big miracle is that God is winning Jonah back to him. That's what this is about. It's about a God who uses his power and wisdom to bring this man into a living and loving relationship with him again. Therefore, it's important we see here that even though Jonah is now okay with God, he is still, where is Jonah now? Where is Jonah? He's inside the fish. The fish has swallowed him is still there. <coughs> God has saved Jonah, but why has he transported him? He's put him inside the fish. Well, why? God, why is God doing that? I mean, God could simply pick up Jonah from there and, you know, Take him back in God's effort to be with Mrs. Jonah like that. But no, God has has, has allowed him to remain here. Why is he doing that? Because God is still working on Jonah. Because all of this is about God drawing Jonah to himself. He is not done with Jonah. Now can you imagine what life must be like for Jonah right now? Inside this fish. It it, it must be smelly. It must be pitch black. Uh, Jonah uh, is probably feeling trapped. He's, He's feeling lonely there. He's probably feeling very ashamed and he feels like a failure. Everything he has had in his life is all gone. Those wonderful national security meetings with King Jeroboam II, they've gone. Mrs. Jonah, nowhere to be seen. This man is trapped here. He can't go. He's a prisoner now. Prisoner of a fish. Can you imagine that? But God is taking through this belly moment, so to speak, because God knows that what Jonah really needs is to reach that point where he sees that God is all he has. Friends, sometimes even though God has saved you from death in Christ... Still allows you to remain in the belly of affliction. Why? To increase your dependency on God. I think it's Corrie Ten Boom who said, You never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. You will never know that God is all you need until God is all you have. And for Jonah... God is all he has now. You see, Jonah's belly moment is not punishment from God. The fish is not punishment. The fish is salvation. It is a gift from God. Yes, it's in that pitch black, it's in the belly of the fish. Yes, it's lonely, but that's salvation. (laughs) It's salvation. It is a gift from God. Your current mercy situation is also a gift from God to bring you closer to Him. So, if it is a gift, how should we respond to it? How, how should we respond to this gift? What do we do when we get a gift? Well, we all have to thank the person who's given us. And that's what Jonah has done. And this is our final truth. So, truth number one everyone has mercy. Lives. That's in front of you. Truth number two, but the messy situations are not by accident. The third truth is that God uses messy situations to make us like him. So how then should we respond the final truth? And this is the major point of this passage. We must be thankful. Thank God for the mess. Is what Jonah is saying. Look at that. As Jonah stays inside the fish, he he begins to remember that God is all he has. He thinks of all that God has done for him. And what is his response? He breaks in a hymn. Now, chapter 2, verse 1 to verse 9 is all a hymn of thanks. Uh, Let's look at verse 1 and 2. It says, And Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. And he answered, Out of the belly of Sheol. I cried, and you heard my voice. Now Sheol there is simply the place of the dead. It's the grave. Jonah is saying to God, you have delivered me from the belly of the grave to the belly of the fish. I was as good as dead and now I have new life even though I'm inside this fish. Jonah is thankful. He's thankful to God even though he's still inside this fish. He can see the ray of hope shining through. His perspective has now totally changed. Even though he's stuck inside this fish black fish. Look how his perspective has changed in verse 8, verse 9 of chapter 2. He says this to God those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with a voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I vowed I'll pay. Salvation belongs to God. We'll spend more time on this in the final sermon on Jonah, but the point we should see here is that Jonah is saying to God, the first gods of this world are worthless. Only you, O Lord, only you, O God, the God of Israel, is our true Savior. Only you can save me from the mess, and I am so thankful for it. Jonah is back! He's come back, he's enjoying a wonderful relationship with God big time. And God confirms his friendship by commanding the fish to vomit Jonah. Look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish. Take note. The Lord speaks to the fish. He does that. And and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Side note. Not in my sermon notes. Jonah doesn't want to hear from God. God speaks to the fish. The fish obeys. One zero to the fish. We, we, we note here that when Jonah comes out now in verse 17, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Jonah is now out after three days, and he, he must feel like Christmas. He is kissing the ground and he's breathing deep and he's looking at the sun. He's so happy, he's running home perhaps. He can't wait to tell Mrs. Jonah where he has been over the last three days. We must note in passing here that Jonah is out of the fish not because he deserves it. He is out because God is gracious and has enabled Jonah to grow through this affliction. We can never end our way out of trouble. It is not about giving more to God so that God perhaps will rescue me. It is not about Sunday attendance or anything else like that. God is about changing us, bringing us closer to himself, and he alone knows how long he wants us to enjoy affliction. And like Jonah, we must keep on thanking him for that. Notice also something important here that most importantly, Jonah has come out after three days. It is not deliberate. It could have been two days. It could have been one day. But God has purposed three this. Why? Because God is using Jonah's experience inside the fish as a future picture of Jesus. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 12, verse 39 to 40. He says, "An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah." For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. In the same way, God is preserving Jonah for three days and three nights. God is preserving Jesus in the belly of death for three days and bringing him back, not for his benefit, but for your benefit, to give you life in him. Our dear Savior and Lord is our perfect and greater Jonah, who takes on all our messiness of sin and willingly carries them on and takes them to the cross in order that we may have life in him. Jonah is there, you see, for you, as a picture for you to have that confidence in Jesus. And the Bible tells us that three days later, God raised up Christ from the dead. Out of the belly of death and and all who have trusted in Christ now have new life and immortality in him. So here is the key point. Jonah thanks God inside the fish, not knowing his life is ultimately showcasing the glory of Christ. If Jonah is thankful with this bit of knowledge of what's going on with him, what more you already a follower of Jesus? You have received eternal life. You are seated and reigning with Christ right now on high. This stuff should get you excited and enthroned at what God is doing. If Jonah is thankful, you have every reason to be thankful. In whatever situation you're in. Romans 8, verse 31 to 38, our final verse, says this, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is it to condemn Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that who was raised who is at the right hand of God and who is indeed interceding for us who shall separate us from the love of Christ shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or swerve as it is written for your sake We are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, says Paul, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us From the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you are in Jesus, this is your heritage. So your only response is to be thankful. Whatever situation you are in, thank God for it. And thanking God is not resignation or submission. You know, we can resign ourselves to a difficult situation. We can just say, well, this is a mess and I just give up. Because there's no other alternative. That's not what we're talking about here. Many people do that. That's not thankfulness. The thanksgiving of Jonah is about giving ourselves to God wholeheartedly. It is saying to God, it is all you, O Lord. And I am truly grateful that in the middle of all my mess, you are working to bring me closer to yourself. And I am truly grateful. Now, this does not mean we stop praying for God to take us out of the messy situation. But it means that we can pray for things with a heart of thanksgiving, of thankfulness, knowing that if God is for us, even in this belly of affliction, who can be against us? The message of Jonah is that the unstoppable God of Jonah is using the mess in our lives for his glory don't waste your mess that's, that, that's the message today, don't waste your mess hand it to him and thank God for it Amen